in this week's In-Ear Insights. Let's talk about marketing budgeting 2024 and some very peculiar decisions that CMOs are making around their spending. So, Katie, the new CMO survey uh, just came out not too long ago, according to uh, what you were just saying. And there's a whole bunch of really interesting things uh, in this uh, biannual presentation. One of the ones that really stood out to me that I was just absolutely shocked at was CMOs decided in terms of where they're going to be changing their spending, a 9% reduction in CRM. Okay, I can understand that. Uh, a 19% reduction in customer experience spending, which seems counterintuitive since customer experience is one of the last differentiators you have. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a whopping 43% reduction in spending on brand building, which to me is quite possibly the stupidest thing you could do uh, in 2024. So Katie, what were your takeaways as you were looking through this deck, particularly on where, where people are spending their budgets for 2024? Well, there's a couple of things. So it looks like budgets are um, budgets are basically still going down. Budgets drop uh, near pre-COVID levels. And this is what we're talking three, four years ago now. Budgets are getting slashed left or right. I mean, we're seeing it in the job market. We're seeing people get laid off um, pretty much every day now. There's some sort of an announcement that layoffs are happening. And that's one way that budgets are getting slashed. It's a short-term plan. It's very short-term thinking. Um, but then when you start to go into the actual marketing activities that are getting cut, you have brand that's getting cut, social media is getting cut, the employees, the analytics, the technologies, the research, um, customer experience, training, sales support, all of those budgets are getting cut. So then the question is, well, then what are you doing? What is the money left to do? And I know you've been traveling a lot. And so you've been talking with a lot of other agency folks. And one of the comments that was made to you was that the customer expectation now is, well, you're using AI, so it doesn't take you as long. So what am I paying you for? And so we're in this really precarious financial position, all of us, all of us agency owners, you know, people who support other marketing teams where there's this misunderstanding of what AI is doing and therefore I'm not going to pay you because AI is doing it. And so it's affecting budgets for companies like ours to be like, well, we have no new business coming in. So we have to make those cuts somewhere. And what can AI do? So we're being forced <clears throat> to figure out what AI can do for our businesses while trying to play catch up to our customers who already think that AI is like the magic easy button. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, but mm -hmm. I think AI is, is amazing. It's a wonderful technology. I play with it all the time. I talk to it on a regular basis. Um, it's like my third best friend. Um, <clears throat> but it is it's a tool. It's a tool like a spreadsheet is a tool. And and the results you get from it depend on your skills, right? It, just like the results you get out of Excel are dependent on your skills with Excel. If you have no skills with Excel, Excel is just taking up hard drive space on your computer. AI is the same, mm -hmm. only even more so uh, because it is more sophisticated than a spreadsheet and is more complex than a spreadsheet. And yes, there is a lot you can do with just the basic tools. In fact, we have a whole uh, beginner's toolkit on the Trust Insights website. We'll put a link in the show notes to it. But 
it's not a magician. It is not sentient. It's not self-aware. It can't guess what you want and certainly can't just magically do things um, without you asking for it in great detail. This morning, I was working on a, um, a thing I want to do for tomorrow's newsletter about analyzing the transcripts of the Hot Ones YouTube show. And yes, AI was able to help me write the code, but I had to be very specific and follow essentially you know, a requirements document to, to get what I wanted out of it. And so for mm -hmm. people who are saying, fire everyone, let's just replace everything with AI, or hey, I'm going to cut your budget 80% because I know that you're using AI to do everything now, is really, really short-sighted. Mm -hmm. And when I look at this spending, the, the two that bug me the most are the 19% reduction on customer experience, because in an age of AI, if all of your basic customer experience stuff is the same, your advanced human customer experience is, the, is your differentiator, right? Mm -hmm. If I go to the store and I have a terrible customer experience with a human, you know, that reflects badly on you. And if that it's because you've cut that person's salary 19%, <laughs> right? Of course, they're going to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting too. So in looking at the CMO survey, it goes into how people are using artificial intelligence in their marketing. And so AI use in marketing relatively new for most organizations, like that's no shocker. Um, you know, there's very few of us who have been using artificial intelligence for longer than the past uh, 18 months. But then when you look at how they're using it, unsurprisingly, content personalization and creation are top marketing uses for AI. Okay, that's also unsurprising. That doesn't account for all of the other parts of the budget that you have cut. And so if you've cut your uh, content marketing budget, and replaced it with AI, okay, I can almost kind of make that connection. There's still some problems there, but that in some ways kind of makes sense. But it doesn't account for you cutting your advertising budget, for you cutting your email budget, for you cutting this and that and the other. Because if you're only using AI for content creation, you have not addressed all of the other places. It definitely doesn't address sales. It definitely doesn't address your analysis and your customer journey and your customer experience. Um, blogs and website content find primary focus within AI-generated content creation. Okay, great. So what about everything else? What about all of the other things that need a human writer? Not just your blog and website content. There's so many other things that writers do. So when I look at budgets for 2024 and what companies are doing, it really does feel very panicky and short-sighted where, okay, AI is going to solve this. We don't have to, we don't have to think about it. We have a chat bot that does that now, or I have chat GPT that's going to write all my content now. So I'll be fine. And I know that one of the questions that came up for you is, are we just going to get a lot of sameness in terms of the, the output of these things? And I think the answer is yes. So to your point, there's no more differentiator if everybody's churning out the same vanilla AI-generated content. Exactly. In the uh, Harvard Business uh, School study that was done with BCG, um, one of the things that was pointed out was that AI closes the gap at the bottom half of your company. In terms, it takes people who have bad skills and gives them mediocre skills. And it, it helps the efficiency of your top performers. But what this says to me is that the companies with the best ideas, the people 
with the best ideas will win. When the tools can all do pretty much the same thing, when we all have access to chat GPT, mm -hmm. <clears throat> your ability to come up with ideas is going to differentiate you. And if you fire all the people and you got like two people left, those two people had better have really good ideas because now you've reduced the diversity of your organization, the ideas it can have. So, you know, for example, this kind of absurd thing I'm doing with the, the transcripts of hot ones. Why would you do that? Well, because I'm, well, I want to see if I can convert text data into some interesting data that you can analyze and showcase. And in this case, I'm, I'm doing something with uh, a bit of neuroscience stuff. That's a weird idea, but it's an idea that is creative that a machine did not come up with. Mm -hmm. A machine in no way came up with this idea. It's not even sensible, but it's kind of fun. Um, and it, it does have a point when it comes to marketing. That's a creative idea. Those, those come from people. Machines can create, yes. Um, uh, there's a separate study in Nature Magazine showing that um, people on average are less creative than machines, but the top human creators are still more creative than the top machine creators. It, the study went on to point out in very polite words that there's just some people who have really bad ideas. Um, but if you cut back on those people, then your pool of eligible idea creators is smaller and you will get that sea of sameness if you're using AI, but you, even worse, you'll have fewer ideas going into the machines for them to come mm -hmm. up with outputs for them. I often think about, so I sort of, I, I haven't decided if I'm a creative person or not. Um, and I think it really depends on the context. So when I think about, you know, very basic things, like when I was in, you know, school or at other uh, companies sort of like decorating and putting together poster boards. And like, so basically you're given a blank piece of paper and some markers and they want you to create something, you know, really interesting. I'm someone I sort of stare at it for a while and I'm like, well, I don't know. Can, can't you just tell me what you want? And so I'm someone who's really good at following a process or creating a process that's repeatable. But when we're talking about these creative, really innovative ideas, it's something that feels like net new or something that hasn't been done before, which, you know, everything is sort of a version of something else. But the point being is like if you sat if you sat down a room of 10 people gave them a blank piece of poster board and some markers you're not going to get 10 outstanding posters with like beautiful artwork you're going to get maybe two and the other eight are going to be oh i saw what that person's doing let me also do that or i don't really know what you want me to do so i didn't do anything and i think when we think about that sort of you know our ability as humans to be creative, that's where we should be concerned. Because that's really what you're talking about is, yeah, a lot of us can follow a recipe, a lot of us can follow a blueprint or a process. But where are those ideas coming from that are going to allow AI to do what it really does? And so that's when you're thinking about your budget, who are you retaining on your team? And what do they bring to the table, knowing that AI is not going to come up with the ideas? So I want to go back to that, the creative thing, because I think we kind of lump creativity into, into one big bucket when there's yeah. many buckets, but the two broad categories are uh, convergent and divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is, hey, here's your blank poster board. Here's your markers. Come up with new ideas, right? And right. So divergent from, a, from a, a starting point, just how do you explode stuff? 
Convergent mm-hmm. thinking is here's a bunch of disparate facts or ideas, whatever, synthesize this into something coherent. So when you talk about you're not sure about your whether you're creative or not, we're we as humans can do both, but we tend to be stronger in one of them. As a systems thinker, as someone who is very process oriented, you are a very much a convergent thinker. You see a whole bunch of things. You see a whole bunch of employees on a team and you can say, okay, I know how I can leverage each person's strengths to make this a coherent team. Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's convergent thinking. Machines can do both now. Uh, machines, but machines are only as good as the, the, the instructions they were given. So if a convergent thinker is giving prompts to a machine for divergent thinking. It's probably not going to be as high quality as a divergent thinker giving prompts to a machine for divergent thinking and vice versa. So that's a really important distinction, I think, when we talk about AI and creativity is understanding what kind of creative person you are because everyone is creative to some degree. But it's leveraging your strengths. And again, if you're fired, everybody, you have fewer strengths to work with. So which category do you fall into? Um, I'm more on the divergent side I'm more on the divergent side only because convergent thinking requires a lot of organization and logic and process and linearity uh, and mm-hmm. order. That's typically not <laughs> the state of my head. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could apply any of those words to you confidently. Um, but I think the point that you're making is you need both kinds of creativity Um, because you're absolutely right I can look at a bunch of objects and I can figure out what to do with them but if you give me a blank slate that's where I struggle but if I have something to work with that's where I can make magic happen and so you're right those are the two different kinds whereas you look at a blank slate and you're like huh let me see what sticks Yep. Whereas like, for me, what can I do with this? I can make a hat or a brooch or a pterodactyl, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so I think that, you know, in terms of creativity, we tend to think that that's the only kind of creativity. And you're absolutely right. Like, I can't look at a blank piece of paper and think of 50 things to do with it. But if I have a blank piece of paper and a pencil and a stapler and a this and a that and some paints and some, you know, boxes and this, I'm like, oh, now I can put the pieces together. Now I can build a couple of different things over and over and over again. And so and what if we go ahead. Here's something really important because it applies to you and I very well. Divergent thinkers tend to, to make convergent th- thinkers tend to improve. So when mm. we have something like I'll make a new, uh, a new piece of software and you'll be like, what is this? <laughs> like, what does this do? And it forces me to come <laughs> to, to refine it. But if we were both convergent thinkers, nothing would be, it'd be new. We would have a very Mm -hmm. polished version of software maybe from 10 years ago that would be perfect and precise, but there'd be nothing new. There'd be nothing that would be capture people's imagination. If we were both divergent thinkers, we'd have 80 ideas, none of which are done. uh, (laughs) (laughs) And we'd be essentially out of business because we would never get any work done. And so it is that pairing of those two types of thinkers. You know, we often talk about what makes trust insights different from another consulting firm or a different a different kind of company is the Mm -hmm. people who work at it who have these different skill sets and if you if you are unbalanced on your team uh or within your organization you'll lean one way or the other at these things and again if you fire everybody then Mm -hmm. you're really in a in a rough spot and so when we think about the marketing budgets going into 2024 that i can almost guarantee 
that that's not a factor. That's not something that's being thought about is what kind of thinker do I have? It might be thought of in terms of, you know, do I have a worker bee or do I have someone who's trying to be in charge? It's not the same thing because someone who's a doer, like I'm a doer, you're a doer, but that has nothing to do with how we think about things. It's the fact Mm -hmm. that we know that things need to get done. So we just do them. And I think that unfortunately, uh, that's about as far as the decision making goes. It's how productive is this person? Do they do the thing? If they don't do the thing, or if, if Chris does the thing faster than Katie, let's keep Chris because he can do his work and her work. There's no sort of thinking about, but how did Chris get to the point where he's able to do the work so fast? Katie created all the processes for Chris to follow. That's why she's slower at the thing because she's the one creating he's the one doing in that context. And if you think about the five P's, right. And you're evaluating and, you know, maybe one of the, maybe your version of performance is how much somebody costs. <clears throat> you're neglecting the people, right. Which is by the way, the hardest part to manage. It is mm-hmm. the hardest part to hire for. And it is the hardest part to replace. Um, you can change processes pretty easily. You can change platforms really easily. You can change purpose, you know, with a lot of alignment and, and thinking, but the people part is the hardest. So if you're looking at your marketing budgets for 24 and saying, okay, well, we need to cut our budget by 30%. So let's just find the the, the lowest performers and, and you know, lop off the, the 30% lowest performers. It's possible that that's a, a good decision, but it's also possible that you have not done a skills audit and you've got the wrong people on the wrong jobs. And if you do a, a thoughtful and thorough skills audit of your people, you may mm-hmm. find out a they're in the wrong jobs, and b yes, y- if you have eighty percent convergent thinkers and twenty percent divergent thinkers, and you fire the divergent thinkers, now you're stuck, um, and rehiring for that set of skills is going to be very difficult. So you have to take those people into account. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at uh, just more data from the CMO survey. And it's saying use of AI in marketing drives up productivity and customer satisfaction while reducing overhead costs. So 6.2 improved sales productivity, 7% increased customer satisfaction. Here's the problem with this statistic. It doesn't go into context in terms of what that actually means. So the, the danger is that companies who use the CMO survey as a decision-making tool, which in some ways you can, it can guide your decisions, but it should not be the be-all, end-all, is that they're going to look at this and go, oh, AI improved sales productivity 6.2%. So let me go ahead and get rid of some people and just replace it with AI. Well, guess what? People actually need to use the tool and the tool is only one small part of the sales experience. Same with the customer satisfaction. This goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the episode of, you know, oh, I have a chat bot for that or, you know, oh, I now have, I just, you know, bought my license to Salesforce. So now I don't need people. That's not how that happens. You can't just hit the magic AI button and suddenly Salesforce is going to spit out, okay, here's all your prospects and here they are segmented and here's exactly what their customer journey is and here's exactly how they're going to buy. So you don't need people to run the system anymore. The system just does it automatically because it knows exactly what it is you need. Unfortunately, that's just not how it works. No, it is not. And a part of this is decision makers in particular not understanding what ai can and cannot do 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and there needs to be a lot of education about what what AI is capable of, and and more importantly, what AI kind of really sucks at. <clears throat> because yes, it is absolutely evolving. Yes, it is very very smart. But at the same time, it is also it's just a tool. And so if mm-hmm. you have people who are making decisions who don't understand the consequences of those decisions or are just kind of going off very broad assumptions, you run into the situation where, yeah, you're going to make some decisions that are kind of productive. I was talking to a friend yesterday who said that um, at, a, at a company, they laid off 80% of the marketing team. And now the 20% of the people who are left we're told just use chat GPT for everything, but no one knows how to, to write prompts. And so they're just wildly guessing. And the entire mm-hmm. marketing team is in total chaos because of this. Um, they let go of like literally 80% top to bottom, just out the door. And I'm like, that's really, really stupid. Um, and I will shamelessly plug, if you have folks who don't understand AI, but are making decisions with it, go to trustinsights.ai slash AI services. We do education and training for mm-hmm. literally from the from the the most junior person in a company all the way up to the C-suite. If people are thinking about making decisions, trying to build a 2024 marketing budget and a 2024 marketing strategy that incorporates AI, and you have some questions, we will help answer them. Well, and in addition to AI, so you cut 80% of your marketing team three months from now, you're going to feel the hit of things not getting done. You know, nobody's generating reports, nobody's creating new campaigns, nobody's getting the email newsletter out. The email newsletter, you know, doesn't even get delivered to the right places anymore because nobody's keeping up on the cleaning of the data. Those are all things that we can help support with. And those are jobs, those are skills, those are tasks and tactics that AI is just not going to like, you can't just plug it in and be like, okay, now it's going to do it for me someone still needs to manage that machine. And I think that again, so I keep saying it, but these budget cuts are just so short sighted. And unfortunately, a lot of it is being driven by the pushback of consumers who have false expectations of, well, now that you have AI, I'm not going to pay so much because AI is doing 90% of it anyway. And it's just we're in this, you know, vicious circle of ai and humans right now and i don't know i mean what's going to be the breaking point i guess the, you know it, it will come down to you know, at what point does the customer experience get so bad mm. that a new company can enter a space and disrupt it and say okay maybe they do use a good blend of ai and humans but whatever it is they deliver a better experience because yes people Particularly now, um, and there's a whole other show we could do on on you know the politics of income inequality and things. Uh, that's probably mm-hmm. one that's best done at the bar. But <clears throat> there is a limit, a lower limit to which people will accept really poor service mm-hmm. before they will say yes. You know, I will pay a little bit more to just not have an absolute garbage experience. Um, and to the extent that companies, the companies are basically going to find that out the hard way. Uh, this is mm-hmm. the scientific method at work. Uh, it's, it's called F around and find out. Uh, but th- what's going to happen is companies will, who do who think they can cut their way to growth will eventually find that, no, you actually cannot do that. 
and it will make room for competitors to eat their lunch. What's interesting, and this is the last stat that I'll bring up uh, from the CMO survey, is that companies continue to struggle tracking the entire customer journey, not just touch points. And so what I do find interesting about this survey, it doesn't tie all the pieces together. It just sort of drops in data points for you to do something with. But when I look at the story that this most latest CMO survey is telling me, it's telling me that people are cutting their budgets in the wrong places, bringing on AI to do one thing, which doesn't address all of those budget cuts, and they're still struggling with their data. So there is no real solution. Their AI hasn't solved the problem. If they still can't uh, track their customer across all the different touch points, introducing yet another tool is just introducing another tool that you then have to figure out where the data is coming from. It doesn't then say, okay, uh, chat GPT, connect all my data. Tell me what my customer journey is. I mean, my God, if somebody invents that, that's going to be amazing and disrupting, but it's also going to cost a heck of a lot of money. We should talk about that in a staff meeting because there actually is a way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you see, my point, though, is yes. that, you know, if your customer data is still spread across 20 different platforms, introducing generative AI isn't going to fix that because generative AI is generative. It creates. It's not going to say, oh, let me collect all of the data from all of these different places, bypassing the fact that you have no data governance, no data quality, you have to clean it, you don't even have access to six of those 20 stacks. So let me go ahead and just fix this problem for you and then magically tell your salespeople how to sell the thing. Not happening. <laughs> not happening right now. All right. So for if you also want to discuss what you're planning for your 2024 marketing budgets and marketing plans, or you've been handed a bucket of surprises and you need to make all of your uh, stuff uh, fit in that bucket, and you want to talk about it, pop on by our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,500 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. We can find the show on the place where most podcasts are served. And while you're there, please leave us a rating or a review on your favorite uh, podcast serving site. It does help share the show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.